Kate, welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. Okay, I'll go first. I'm not astonished by anything this week, and I'm just going to be honest about that. Um, I'm not like, you know, no one needs to fear for my life or soul or health. I just, I mean, A, would like to point out for that the bar for astonishment is growing higher and higher in these extraordinary times. Um, and B, just to be real about the fact that um, the whole reason we have this as a prompt is to, um, because we believe that we have to cultivate the practice of noticing where God is and having reverence for what God is doing in our lives. And um, I, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And also sometimes I just can't achieve it. Like I'm not, I'm not in despair. I mean, it's been a, a busy, I, I mean, it's been a intense week with um, a, several projects. And I think every time we have the great privilege of taking a week off, it is a challenge to come back and pick everything up again. Um, so I do think I've, you know, just kind of been chasing all week long. Um, but I just, yeah, I mean, I'm racking my brain as to what is in that category of, of awe and astonishment. And I, I just don't got it. Like, I, I mean, I, I still love my people. I still trust that God is good and in the world, but I, I could come up with things that astonish me in a negative way, but there's just been too much of that lately. And so I just um, am going to be transparent that I, you know, my, my astonishment detector is a little um, faulty this week and I don't have anything to do. So tell me what you are astonished by and Listen. I will join you. First of all, <laughs> let me just respond to what you said, because I have not known you to be a person uh, that has little to say, right? And so people don't know this, who listen to this podcast, you don't know this, but almost every week before we record, we have a conversation. And almost every week, Kate said something like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about today. And then we hit record and all of this stuff comes out. And so I am astonished that that's not happening today. Well, I mean, first of all, let's just say that what you are conflating our real life with COVID era, because the reality is if things were not, yes, whatever, if this stupid, awful pandemic weren't happening, we would have met for a run. And during the run, we were just, we just kind of catch up on everything that's happening in our lives. And, and I think in what's happening in the world and what's happening in our churches and what we're preaching about. And in the course of that conversation, I think we both kind of, you know, it's just a practice of noticing like kind of a um, Lectio Divina friendship era kind of thing. And we don't, we don't get to do that now. Like we, we do talk to one another. um, But, now our catch up time isn't before we record the podcast. And so it's just a little more 
artificial because we're not taking a walk or a run first. And so that is hard. I mean, it's harder. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I will give you that. I will give you that. But no, I said, I really have nothing to say. And he's like, ha ha, you will. And I'm like, no, I, I, no. I mean, I say I'll still talk. Like it was never a question of whether or not I was going to talk, but I am aware that I don't really have anything to say. So well, <laughs> what is astonishing you? Oi, oi, oi. Kate, Kate, Kate. My sister from another Mr. Murphy. <laughs> Can we talk about this dude, Jerry Falwell Jr.? Oh, man. See, now, yeah, I, sure. If I wanted to, that kind of astonishment, it is in abundance. So, yeah. listen, for those who don't know, last week, um, Instagram showed a picture of Jerry Falwell Jr., the president of Liberty University, one of the largest, if not the largest, Christian university in the country. Maybe the it world. is the largest. It is. And the when you say Instagram showed a picture, he that posted. he posted a picture. Posted a picture. It's not like yeah. Instagram like yeah. caught it from the cloud and no, That's he true. posted That's a picture true. on Instagram of a his own pic- self, a picture of himself at a party. I think on a yacht. On a yacht, as one does party. <laughs> I know. On yes, a yacht. Yes. With his arm around a woman who was not his wife, whatever. As Jesus did, partying on yachts. <laughs> he later said that this woman was his wife's assistant. Um, their zippers were down and their midsections were O-U-T out. So... The university board of trustees asked him to take an indefinite leave of absence as the president of the university. Uh, Later to explain the photo, he posted, uh, or he said about that post, he said, quote, you know, it was weird because she's pregnant, so she couldn't get her shorts up. And I was like, trying to like, I, I have a pair of jeans I haven't worn in a long time, so I couldn't get mine zipped either. So I just put my belly out like hers. I've apologized to everybody and I've promised my kids I'm going to try to be a good boy from here on out. Okay, so clearly we have some problems here. Number one. Wait, wait, you forgot the part about how he was holding a glass of whiskey or bourbon and he's like, it yes. was just brown water. It was yes, a prop. just it brown was- water. Yes. So saying, I'm going to try to be a good boy from here on out, totally says he's not taking this seriously one bit. And the, But the bigger thing for me is that this is what the board reacts to. This, why did it take a sexually suggestive Instagram post instead of his racist acts for the board to do something? Right. So when people were out because the board is not opposed to racism, the board is opposed to violations of the human created purity code. Yes. It's just bananas to me that this is what is making him take a leave of absence. This is what everyone is responding to, except for the black students and um, uh, some of the uh, black staff on that campus after he posted a picture of what a, a mask with governor, uh, governor 
in blackface, yeah. right? So lots of students, especially athletes and staff, begin to leave the university. But the board, I don't know if they said anything or did anything, but it was this that they responded to. And now I'm also in relation to this, thinking about, I don't know if you've heard the song that's been released by um, Cardi B and Meg <laughs> Stallion. Yes. Right? I mean, I haven't so, heard it, but I've read all about it. Yes. Oh boy. Yes. yes. Well, <laughs> um, I, I've listened to the song. And so, okay. All right. Fine. Cardi B is a stripper. All right. So, all right. So she records this song. But there are conservative Christians and conservatives in general who are so upset about this song, but not so upset about this. I mean, let's let's quietly, you know, give him a leave of absence. But when it comes to this song, oh, these women are destroying America. They're destroying the minds of American youth. So I mean, I, I wanted to just like throw a flag on the play, look at that sports analogy and say like, I mean, to say that this is worth talking about, I mean, sure. And worth sort of um, discussing what it reveals about, you know, the, the fallenness uh, um, and the domestication of the gospel and American consumer culture. Sure. But to call this astonishing, I mean, nobody's astonished. I mean, if you're astonished, but I mean, there's nothing about this that's unexpected. Like in a, like, I mean, this is, we, I mean, I think that part of what is so, we've talked about this a lot of times that in this, this is such an apocalyptic season. It's such a season of uncovering and revealing. I mean, it's been no secret what the values of Jerry Falwell Jr. and Liberty University are. The values are power, patriarchy. I mean, you know, control, control of women's sexuality. So, I mean, I, I, like, of course they're not going to fire him for, or put him on leave of absence for his comments that he's made about, um, about different political stances he's supporting or his racist comments or actions, because that's, those are not values that are important to them. And I think like they wouldn't have fired him for this, except that this, I mean, because whatever, that picture, I mean, I just think it's dumb and lame, but it doesn't really shock or offend or titillate me. But I think but what it is, is in violation of the dress code that is heavily policed at Liberty University. And so I think there was no way to, to say, you know, if Liberty University students aren't allowed to show their midriffs or to, you know, as if a student had taken a picture or staff member had taken a picture like that, they would have been expelled or suspended. So I don't think that the board had any choice. I, I think that had they had a choice, they would have exercised it. I mean, they like his leadership. He's growing the university and it is bigger and uh, wealthier and more powerful and making more money than it did before. Therefore, he's a good leader by that value system. Well. It's just sad. Very sad. Well, and I think it's challenging for me because there was a time when I described myself, one of the ways I described myself was as an evangelical. 
Mm -hmm. But by that, I meant the classic sense of the word, as in the good news of Jesus. One who wants to share the good news, yes. One who wants to share the good news of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. And so if someone were to ask me, if if, if I was an evangelical, I would say yes. But now I have to move away from that term because it means something different. It means it's about... Conservative politics, it's about policing women's sexuality, it's about, well, it used to be like low-key racism, now it's just like full-blown racism. (laughs) Now it is, now it is turbocharged racism. Yeah, yeah, what I think, and this doesn't astonish me either, but I mean, since you brought it up, um, what I think is so interesting about the controversy surrounding that, um, that song is um, one of the people who's super mad and gave an interview about it is CeeLo Green. And he was talking about how like, you know, these women, you know, they're just so vulgar and you can't blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and I, I literally had to go and like, I had to Google him because I'm like, maybe I don't know who CeeLo Green is because I thought he was the forget you guy or what he like, and I'm not mad at, I mean, whatever. I, I actually kind of like that song, but I'm like, it takes an awful lot of something to have a guy who wrote, I mean, his whole album is just, I mean, I'm like, it's just crazy. Mer- the hypocrisy is crazy. Do you know how many years, how many decades, if you listen to pop music in general, hip hop music, especially made by men, was it degrading, sexually degrading toward women? But when a woman has the mic, and says some of the same stuff. It's like, oh, they're awful. How can they do this? Like, Well, because, I mean, in our culture, we celebrate men having a rapacious sexual appetite and, you know, finding satisfaction in whatever way. And one of the things that makes women more desirable to men is that they would not enjoy, that they would be whatever, like consumed or conquered as opposed to joyfully participating and so these same words and lyrics that when a man says them are deemed really sexy and and um, exciting when a woman says them are gross and that is because and threatening threatening because we live in a patriarchal society we we just we all of us do and i think it's interesting that you know it's no secret within the context of sort of quote christendom that there's a patriarchy about men and women's expectations. What's interesting though, is this whole thing with that song in um, Creflo Dollar is that um, that same patriarchy is alive and well in secular culture in the, you know, I mean, people are still conformed to these very same gender roles, even though, you know, they would say we've left all the other parts of, of Christendom behind. I'm sorry. My three-year-old is my four-year-old is sitting here on my lap coloring which is fine but you can't sing and can't cut on the color on me okay so I can sing I just I can did. and I will <laughs> what are you I gonna do about did it? it so yeah there yeah. Well, that's that's good um so what are you thinking about I am thinking about um why we need the current tension around racism and policing 
to continue. There's just a number of people that I know and love, know and love for a long time, who are so anxious that they are starting to say, we just want this to be over. We just want the Mm -hmm. tension. We just want the protest to be over. And I'm having to talk to them about that. Um, And and I I just feel that is growing, uh, especially um, in our congregation. I mean, it's an older congregation and I I get it. I, I get that at some level, their hearts are simply seeking peace, but I'm having to help them see why we need to be in this moment and probably stay in this moment. You know, one is that as Americans, we we just move on to the next news story quickly. Mm-hmm. And so the status quo goes unchanged. Um, and, you know, like you and I have said over and over again, as Christians, we know that not everything that makes us feel bad is bad for us. And right. so I just think this moment, even though it doesn't feel good, is good for us. It's like Israel wandering in the desert. We need to be in this moment. Jesus said, um, yeah, what did he say? If you're going to be my disciple, take up your cross and, and follow mm-hmm. me. And so I, I think we need to have these protests. We need to have this tension making us feel bad, but it's not, it's, we need to feel bad about the thing the protests are about, right? Not about the protests. It's not yeah. about the protests, right? And right. so we're, there, some of the anxiety is misplaced. Some of the, you know, if we think that if the protests go away, then then the issues go away. And that's just not it. Well, I mean, I think what what is being revealed when people say, like, I just need the tension to go away is people are saying, I don't care if people keep getting shot by the police. I just don't want to be uncomfortable anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that's a, that's a horrific thing. I mean, for anyone to say, but particularly for people who want to be part of the body of Christ to essentially say, we accept that black people are going to continue to be brutalized and um, murdered by the police. And we accept it's too bad. We hate it, but we accept that the justice system is um, weighted against people of color and we don't, we wish it weren't so, but it just is what it is. And I want to get on with my life. I mean, that, that is basically saying, you know, I, I'm not against you, but I don't care what happens to you. And that's not love. And so. Yeah. I'm hearing people pray and I do this as well. We pray for healing. And I am having to say to people, you got to understand that healing comes by way of justice. Mm -hmm. And, um, the illustration that I'm using is in, in the book of revelation, chapter 21, there's the, there's a tree of life and, and it says that the leaves are for the healing of the the nations. Yeah. That comes after all of the bowls and the trumpets and all, all, all of that, that judgment where God makes things right and deals with evil and injustice once and for all. And so um, if, if you want to get to the healing of the nations, you just got to go the way of justice. And there's well, no and way I, around that. There's no way around that. And basically what you're saying is, I want you to be quiet and go back to suffering quietly. 
Like I'm tired of hearing that you're suffering. I just want you to suffer quietly. Like, can you please go and, um, you know, sell those slaves over there? Because I don't want to hear it. And I I think, you know, it's interesting. Well, there's a, um, a, a, in Statesville and and Gastonia too, but in Statesville, I accidentally watched the local news last night and they were just covering protests in Statesville and about a Confederate monument that people are trying to get removed outside of the courthouse, of course. And you have white people on both sides of the issue. And the one white man is just saying like this, you know, this is not a statue about hate and this is not a statue about racism. It just isn't. And so it should stay. We can't erase our history. And that, you know, just basically he's saying, I like things the way they are. I don't like this tension. It doesn't mean that to me. Therefore, it doesn't mean that. And, you know, and I think we, most of us in the church are, have more sophisticated language to put around that. But, and that's essentially what we're saying. Right. I mean, we're saying like the police aren't killing me, but these protests are making me feel less safe in my city. Therefore, the threat to me is the protest. And we have no sense that, um, you know, as people of faith, when God says, I don't, I don't want your songs and I don't want your sacrifices. I want justice, oceans of it. I want, you know, righteousness, rivers of it. Then if those are God's priority and we are God's people, then we should be doing the about the work of our father at period, whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable. And um, yeah, I mean, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And so sometimes in some seasons, we're the disruptors because what we're disrupting masqueraded as peace, but it never was peace. Yeah. And if we think about it, on an individual level, which is easy for us Americans to do. Like if you're dealing with some kind of um, like past issue, some kind of past trauma, in order to heal it, you, you got to go through the hurt of it, right? Um, yeah. If you're sitting in a therapist's office, <laughs> you're going to have to talk it through and it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. Yeah. But in order to get to the healing, you got to go through it. And it's the right. same for us collectively, if we're going to heal this thing, we have got to go through it. And well, and I think that's just the thing. There's, there's no growth without change. And what a lot of us are saying is I just don't like the change and the status quo isn't that bad for me. Mm. And ultimately I care about my brothers and sisters to the extent that they can get what they want and need without seriously inconveniencing me. But now (laughs) it's seriously inconveniencing me. Um, and I, I hear, you know, I mean, I hear people, particularly white people explicitly sort of say, this is just what has to happen to keep the peace. There'll be anarchy if we try to do any kind of reform. So, so these, Listen, um, like the same church- kind of argument made against church transformation, right? If you oh, yeah. do it too much, then it'll all just fall apart and we won't have a church. So we've got to keep the status quo in order to save it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's just a bad argument, but I mean, I think that we haven't um, taught people the gospel very well. And so I have, I have um, empathy for the pain and discomfort that believers are feeling because they had a wrong expectation of what fidelity to Jesus would look like. Um, the cross has always been theoretical 
and and now in the tiniest of ways, it's becoming um, real and imminent and sacrificial. And people feel like, wait, I didn't think it was ever supposed to be like this. So that is that's the problem. That's good. What are you thinking about? Um, I mean, many things, many things. But um, I. I started reading a book this week that my friend um, Rebecca Hart had been recommending. You know, you have a friend who will recommend something to you like nine times with great enthusiasm. And then when they finally recommend it the 10th time, you're like, Oh, okay. I better, I better get this. Mm. And um, so my friend Rebecca, who um, is really wise and has a lot of experience um, working, she works as a life coach now, but she's done a lot of um, wilderness therapy with, kids and youth in, in, in the past, um, and does a lot of youth ministry, um, at the church, but she recommended a book called, um, how to talk. So your children will listen and listen. So your children will talk. And she was recommending it in the forum that we were doing at the church for, um, parents sort of approaching, whatever, in whatever form a very different school year. And so how can we just sort of have right expectations of ourselves and of our kids and really, um, get, get, um, you know, get some, get some mental, um, you know, get some things right in our heads so that we can be present for our kids. And, um, and so she was recommending this book and, and in the context of it, she was saying to me and to the other folks there that like, I know this book is framed as a parenting book and as adults talking to children, but as we all know, and and this isn't a a shade, like, all of us are, are really children walking around. I mean, like we all, I mean, I'm not saying that we're immature. I'm just saying that like, we are not that different than we were as children. And the reality is we've learned to kind of mask and cope with things. But, um, that that's kind of one thing that makes kids, I think unique is they're just experience the world more viscerally and are more honest about, um, what they want and what they need and how they feel. And, and we've learned, how to sort of, um, you know, twist ourselves and show up in particular ways. And anyway, um, and so I started reading this book and I, I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm really surprised, um, at how good and helpful I'm finding it. And especially as a pastor, I think that I know that one of the things I really struggle with is, um, when I love people, I worry about them and I want them to not feel bad anymore. And so there are conversations that I avoid with people because I know those conversations will make people feel bad. And when people come in pain, because I care about them, what I want to do, and I fight it, but what I want to do is um, help them not be in pain anymore. And um, one of the things that this book was talking about and, and modeling in really practical ways was just about how when our when our kids come to us um, and they come angry or hurt or sad, what we just instinctively do as parents is try to fix it for them. Um, and, and often when they come to us with something that we, with a feeling, we, we'll think like, well, you shouldn't feel this way. So like if a kid comes and says, I'm hungry and we say, well, I just fed you breakfast or like, I'm not, I'm not tired. And we're like, well, you, sh-, you know, we just, we shut kids down if they're, sad about something that we think they shouldn't be sad about, they'll tell us they're sad and we'll say, oh, that's not that bad. Or if they're angry about something their teacher did, we'll say to them, well, you shouldn't be angry. That was your fault, right? And so the, the book is really, A, 
helping me see how often I do that, helping me to remember what it was like as a kid when I was honest about things without thinking of how it would make me look to others. And, and also just these really practical techniques of trying about how when someone we love comes to us with an extreme emotion, that it doesn't matter how we think they should feel, that that is where they are. And so there's ways that we can just be with them where they are and acknowledge that what they're feeling is real and that 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 creates that's love that's power right that we're not essentially saying to them go away and come back when you're not mad or go away and you know and and so i i, I don't know i'm like i'm i'm butchering this explanation um no, but so I, great. it's it is it's really good and i definitely give us, the, give us the title and the author again it's called how to um listen so your kids will talk and talk so your kids will listen and i, I brought it in here with me. It's um, Joanna Faber and Julie King. Um, and there's a, and I think maybe the first one is called by Adele Faber. There, there's two, F-A-B-E-R, how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk. And and it's really good. And I am already um, just really finding it incredibly helpful with my own children and already seeing how not that I am a parent and people in my church are children. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying it already is showing me how I can, can be more present and loving and let God be God. And, and me just um, not needing people to pretend to um, feel something they don't feel or have hope that they don't have. Anyway, it's it's very very good. So it sounds like the book is. I mean, it's it seems to be set, if you will, in the context of a parent-child relationship. Really, it's about emotions. Because I mean, it's all about emotions. And and, I know I'm socialized. You know, when it comes to other people's emotions, to either fix them or ignore them. Right. Right. That that's how I'm socialized, and so to to walk with them, that's a whole different skill set. Well, and I think that also, I mean, there's an interesting connection to what we were just talking about before in what, you know, that one of the reasons I think so many people are so uncomfortable in this moment when people in, you know, people of color and black people in this nation finally feel desperate enough or safe enough to say, this is how it really is. This is how I really feel. And, and one of the things I really feel is angry. And I think a lot of people are saying like, well, you shouldn't feel like that, or it's not fair that you feel like that, or what do you want me to do about, you know, could you just stop being angry? In fact, a, a good friend of mine was saying like, well, I just think, you know, and until we're done being angry that, you know, we just, people aren't motivated by anger. Like we need to move towards solutions. I'm like, well, I mean, it doesn't matter what we quote need to do. If people are angry, they're angry. And and it's not my place to tell anybody, but especially someone who who is living with a very real possibility that their you know, mother, father, brother, sister, child could be one, you know, one policeman's bad day away from being dead forever. It's not my it's not my 
I, I can't say I love you and also say you shouldn't feel the way you feel. You shouldn't feel sad. You shouldn't feel scared. You shouldn't feel hangry. You shouldn't feel hopeless. I mean, you do. And, and I'm not saying I understand, but I mean, I, I think the very least that we can do is say, I, I, I'm going to, I, I want to listen. Um, and I'm not going to think that I have the right to tell someone how to feel, or especially as a, a person who believes you know, the teaching of, of Paul, that we're all one part of one interconnected body. And we can't say not my problem hand that you just got chopped off. I mean, the one part of the body is suffering. Then the whole body is suffering right now. One part of the body is, and has been for generations suffering and the whole body is starting to suffer. And that's not, um, you know, that's not an injustice that's reality. (laughs) So, I mean, the suffering is unjust, but the fact that people who are, quote, not affected mm-hmm. are affected, that's just reality. So, yeah, I, I think we would do better if we could um, start by being able to hold space when people are uncomfortable and not have a judgment around expressing those feelings. So that's good. Wow. Well, so what are you preaching about? Well, just just one thing before we move to that. Um, <laughs> what's bouncing around in my head is that I promised Han that I would slow down on the number of Amazon packages coming to our house, but I'm thinking, hmm, I might have to order that book. So, ooh. oh yeah, <laughs> say, Kate made me do it. I'm <laughs> so. A, isn't, there, isn't there a library out there in Union County? Ah, uh, there's COVID out there. I don't, who knows who's had that book? <laughs> okay, that's not how COVID works. I, I got I to be safe. I need my own okay. book. Listen, I would never discourage a friend from ordering from Amazon, except that Amazon is exploiting its workers, and Oy. I, I hate that I'm part of it. Anyway, um, that is that is a lament and a reckoning for another day. Um, but, um, what are you preaching about? Preaching, 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 preaching. I am preaching from the book of revelation this week. Um, the place where a voice says to John, come up higher, show you some stuff. And what John sees is the heavenly throne room. And it is amazing and awesome and all kinds of overwhelming and uh, I'm I'm telling um, a, a bit of a cheesy story, but I like it. It's a story about a little girl who um, one night in the middle of a terrible thunderstorm went to her parents' bedroom and she turned on the light and she flicked it off. Again, she turned it on and flicked it off. And a third time, turned it on, flicked it off and went back to bed. Uh, a little while later, she got up and did the same thing. And she did it a couple of times during the night. And finally, my mother said, why do you keep turning the light on and off? And she said to her, I just want to make sure that you guys are still here. Um, and I just get this sense that in this time, this season of disruption, that people need, at least the people I serve, um, need this sense of assurance. And as I read uh, Revelation chapter 4, um, John is going through something similar in, in that the, 
you know, Christians are going through horrible persecution. It's a horrible time of disruption and pain. And this light gets turned on just for a little bit, but the light is the throne throne room of heaven. And John sees some things. He sees the reality of heaven. He sees the reality of God on the throne. And um, I I just want to talk about that. And then in the end, say, look, this is not about a pie in the sky when you die, you know, spirituality. Again, go back to those early Christians going through persecution. The book of Revelation was written to give, to, to encourage, right? And if you think about that word, encourage, to put courage in, not right. to make us passive, but to make us courageous in these right. times. And so, well, and to, to encourage them in their suffering, right? Like to, suffering. En- yeah. 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 And so here's my, if, if I'm being candid and transparent, here's my struggle. I am very aware that I am talking to myself just yeah. as a black person in America. I am talking to myself. Be encouraged. You see the light has been turned on, you see that God is still on the throne. As as horrible as this racist nightmare is, be encouraged. I want to make sure that in the historically white congregation that I serve, people do not hear, well, everything is going to be all right. Therefore, yeah, I don't have to be involved. I don't, I don't have to have any skin in the game. Um, and so I, I know I've got to connect those dots somehow. And so, well, you know, I mean, I think it's interesting to, I mean, I think one of the gifts of churches like ours is that it provides opportunities to name the reality in the room that often goes unnamed. And so, I mean, I think it would be really profitable to say exactly that. What I just like, said. Correct. I mean, and just to say, like, this is what I need to hear as a black man, blah, blah, blah. This is what I need you not to hear as a white congregation. It doesn't matter. God will figure it out. I'm not, you know, you can be indifferent to my suffering. But I mean, I do. This is why I wrote with Kate Murphy, because I was (laughs) wrestling with this. And see, you just like said it in a sentence. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's good. That's how I'm going to. I just said exactly what you said. But then I do think like where white people need to be encouraged is when to when we when we do feel compelled or called or when our eyes are open to this it's easy to get overwhelmed and go well i'm you know i'm so complicit or i'm so mired in guilt and shame for what i haven't done in the past or i i feel so you know powerless um and fallible and ineffective in terms of, you know, what, what could I, what could I do? Why does it even matter? I mean, you know, just to sort of say like, God is doing this work. And if you feel like you are not equipped or, you know, empowered to be a part of it in the meaningful way, be encouraged that God is doing this work. Right. And so I think like, if, if be encouraged gets put on, you know, I mean, again, because it's exactly what you said, that those words were written to encourage the early church in their suffering. They were not written to appease sort of the 
Roman soldiers who were beheading. And I mean, they were, you know, you weren't meant to be encouraged in your work of persecuting people, right? So those are not words to say, whatever happens on earth doesn't matter to God. It's all good. But to say, when, when you are given the terrible grace of seeing how things are, you can be encouraged at what God is doing and you can be encouraged that there's a place for you to participate with God in that great grand reversal. You can be encouraged that you're not defined by your past weakness and you're not, you know, you're not part of it on a contingency as long as you never screw up again, right? Like, you you know, so I think, but I think that's the big trip. Like if you're on top, don't be encouraged to say whatever you did to get there and stay there is fine. Um, I mean, that's like that story that you love to tell about Al Capone. Like, don't be encouraged to be a Christian gangster. Like, you don't get to just, you know. I was like, what? Okay, yes. Yeah, Yeah. you love that story. Yeah, so I think that's that's good. I mean, that's a good word. Well, um, I'm, I'm... Well, like I said, I'm preaching to myself these days because I have all kinds of emotion. I mean, I'm feeling all of the feelings. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, from anger to sadness to hope to, oh my goodness. Yeah. And so this is, this is what I need this week to, to keep on going. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think the bottom line is this is the word we all need when we're walking in the way of Christ. Mm -hmm. When we are trying to operate on cheap grace and get Jesus to co-sign on our lifestyle, no matter how we want, then, then it's, you know, a a miss. It's blasphemy to use it. But, but when we are trying in spite of ourselves to be about, you know, to be imitators of Jesus and feeling overwhelmed by that, then, then this flickering of the lights and seeing the throne room of God gives us, I mean, I love the connection between encourage and courage because that's right. Like that's what God is, is giving us. Not, not this false premise that everything's okay. And we can just go back to sleep and. Yeah. I was really wrestling with, it's like, this is all about heaven. This is all about God in heaven. It's like, so what is the connection now? And so I, I really just, and I almost didn't preach this this week because it just sounded too pie in the sky. And then, I mean, it just had to have been the Holy Spirit. No, this is about encouraging people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The courage is. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to steal that. I think, I think literally, I, I think this is right. I think the word, the English word encourage comes from two Latin words that literally means yeah. you put courage in something or something. Well, and it, I think it's because it's core, it's heart. So it's about strengthening the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, having a heart strong enough, for, strong. So if that's for battle, for work, for whatever that is. So yeah, I've done the words today and that before, but I don't remember. And, and, and so often I think we use the word encourage to kind of, you know, pat someone on the back. Make people right feel there. good. Yeah. 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 And, and, I, and I, when that is what we think encourage means, then we get stuck into the trap of thinking like whatever P- 
people's lives are like or whatever their values are. We just need to make them feel good about themselves. And that's not what it is. It's, it's, the, it's giving someone the heart strength they need to live the life that God has called them to live. Ooh, that I, good. I, I am going you, to you, feel that. that. Excellent. That's Kate Murphy, TM Ministries. <laughs> so. TM Ministries. Yeah, this is an, Folks, an old... first here on the podcast, TM <laughs> Ministries. That is a very old and mean joke that Yolando has made about me for years that he's going to drive by the Grove and see... Oh, never mind. I can't, I can't say this dumb joke because... People might think that I mean it. So anyway, Kate Murphy distracted. It's a thing. Come on, it's a thing. It's not a thing. Yeah, I mean, it's not a thing. It's it's a mean joke. It is um, a mean joke. <laughs> it is a mean joke because I cannot stand it when people name their ministries after their own selves. I think it is like the most. It is literally anti-Christ. You are literally centering yourself in the middle of your ministry. I can't stand it. It is it's odd, so isn't it? It's it's odd. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's odd. So I mean, like it's one thing if your ministry is like hope, you know, like my friends Adrian and Manuel, they have a ministry and it's called Hope Vibes. Like that's awesome because they're centering their ministry in hope, and it, it like that makes sense. But when someone's ministry is literally, hey me, <laughs> that drives me crazy. Um, anyway, so what are you um, preaching this week? Well, I just know what have you preached this week? Because you've already recorded your sermon. And listen, when I grow up, I want to be like you and I want to find the courage <laughs> to stop procrastinating and doing things at the last it's not, it's not courage. Like my friend who does things early and listen. <laughs> Anybody who knows me is laughing so hard to hear you say that. Nope. I do procrastinate. What the difference is, is this external gift that um, we, uh, um, I, I work with a woman named Rachel King, who's our ministry, Rachel Kong, who's our ministry coordinator, and she does all the technical stuff of putting our service together. And so, so she can't start until I finish. And so what you need is not more discipline or less procrastination. What you need is a Rachel Kong who will do this work for you. And because her you do it for the church. I, I love her editing. She does a really good job. She's amazing. But you do all of this for your congregation. So if I... You Rachel, know, I if, if Kate ever makes you angry, I know a great... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I mean... I'm kidding. I, I'm, I just I think, I was feeling some kind of way today. And I so, know. I know. Well, I am feeling some time away because, um, I mean, the great thing about recording it is that it's done. The hard thing is I could do it better, right? And so it's just sort of knowing like, oh, I could do it again and it would be better and I could do it again, but I am not doing it again. And what does that mean? Like the difference between preaching, you know, when you are gathered for worship in the community is, I mean, A, it's just completely different because because you're looking at people and you, you know, but, and they're responding and, and it is, it becomes a different thing when it is something done by the whole community. But, but the hard thing about doing it this way is, I mean, and and when you're preaching in the context of worship with everyone, you know, it all, it only happens once. Like you do it in real time and you, you can't, I mean, believe me, <laughs> you can't sit down and say, "Hey, wait, folks, <laughs> sit back down. I'm going to try this again. I can do better next time." Talk about 
mutiny, right? So it's just hard to let it go. It's it's really hard to let it go when um, when you could do it again, and um, and I just miss I miss worshiping in person with with my people with the, I mean with us. So like it's I just I am still really grieving that, and I think the longer that this lasts, the harder it is to accept because um, I just don't see how. where the end is and so that is just really really hard anyway all that to say is we are in a sermon series called being human on a book of psalms and i mean not unrelatedly i just uh, really was preaching to myself because i've been feeling very overwhelmed and discouraged and inadequate and sad in this season because it's just not what i want it to be and what it quote should be and yet it is and there's no escape shoot there's no way to get out of it we just have to go through it and it sucks and um i was using um psalm 8 um which i just sticks in my head because one of my hebrew bible professors once told me that it was his favorite psalm and i honestly like i read it and i was like why like it's kind of boring (laughs) like i don't get it um but the psalm starts um, oh Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And it is a psalm um, d- that just um, centers us in the context of the goodness and grandeur of God. And and I am, am thinking about how in seasons like this, that, I mean, as people of faith, they're hard and we don't need to pretend that they're not hard and we don't need to pretend that they're fair and we don't need to pretend that we're optimistic when we're not that. And what we do need to do is unmask the lie that we picked up along the way that we, we won't or shouldn't go through seasons like this because seasons like this are just part of being human and we're human. So they're going to happen. And then when we're in them, how do we respond as a people of faith? And I do think that one of the ways we respond is by praising God. And I think when we are like, well, why should I praise God? My life is crappy right now, which I think is very real and honest and which I also feel it helps to unmask that it is without really being aware of it. A lot of times we praise God when our lives are good or because our lives are good. And that's not really praising God. That's, I mean, maybe that's being thankful, but, but it's, but we praise God because God is good and whatever season we're in, God is still good. And so, you know, praising God helps us remember that there is still not just goodness, but ultimate goodness in the world. And that the season we're in is still within the context of the ultimate and eternal reality of the goodness of God. So there's reason to praise, not because I'm pretending that my life is great or even because I necessarily have hope that my life will get better again, but because God is good. And then, um, and that Psalm just talks about, you know, what are humans that you are mindful of them and that you care for us. And you, I mean, the Psalmist is talking to God and saying, you've made us a little lower than the angels and crowned us with honor and glory. And I think in a season like this, when we, one of the things that's hard is not just the loss, but just how crappy we feel about ourselves because, we want to do things we can't do and people need things from us that we can't give. And, you know, like one of the things that's hard about pastoring this season is like, 
I just can't be the pastor that I want to be. I I can't even be the pastor that I could be. Like at the end of every week, I just look and be like, man, I could have done more. And I just didn't. And that is, I mean, it just sucks. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, you just sort of, you've lost any illusion that you're, I don't know. And so I think it's really helpful. Yeah. And so I think it's helpful to realize, well, I mean, the witness of the Psalm is to say, God is good and God has made us good. I mean, the God who made the stars made us and regardless of how we feel, we still are a little lower than the angels. We still are crowned with honor and glory. And even when that doesn't, you know, I mean, so I I think just sort of a reorientation, we're doing the blessing of the Chromebooks this Sunday because we can't do the blessing of the backpacks, which is a loss. Like that's one of my favorite Sundays because just to see the flood of kids and children and teachers. And I mean, it's a small thing because we're all just grieving, grieving the loss of in-person school or fearing the resumption of in-person school. Um, and, and my friend Tiffany made these stickers for the kids Chromebooks that say, um, beautiful, capable, worthy. And to just remind people that no matter what's happening, um, you're beautiful because you're made in the image of God and you're capable, maybe not of crushing it, but you're capable of being what God made you to be in this season, which is human. Right. So that's good. Wow. And, and we're worthy because we've been crowned with glory and honor. And so whatever is at stake in this season, our worthiness isn't. Um, so that is what I think I preached. <laughs> I still would like a do-over, but I love it. That's where we are. So wow, wow. Well, I mean, it sounds like a good word. I, I'm. I really like the. I'm I'm having higher. That I mean, that's I might preach your word next week. Except I I was totally thinking about stealing Salme. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Anyway, um, well, and speaking of sermons, um, let's take a moment to um, at least. Um, I'd like to take a moment to thank folks for um, such positive feedback about the sermon we preached together a couple of weeks ago. I mean, this is our first yeah. podcast since since that uh, sermon. And um, I had some folks say to me, okay, you and Kate together, that was great sermon, blah, 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 blah. But you know what you really ought to do? <laughs> you ought to get your worship teams together. It's like, that's the next step. I was like, well, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Would that we could get our worship teams together with themselves, much less anyone else Hello. right now. So. Hello. Yes, yes, yes. No, that would be fun. That would be fun. It was a lot of fun. I was glad. To, it was really fun to try something different. And um, yeah, it didn't feel like work. So it was good. Yeah, my dad was very happy that we uh, preached a sermon together and he liked it. And, um, you know, for a minute, I felt some kind of way. It's like, Am I not good enough? <laughs> I know, I know. I know people have to be careful when they praise us, don't they? No, I know, I know. <laughs> oh, no, it was, it was, I had a really good time doing it. It was really fun. So, yeah. So, well, um, I think we're out of words for today. So thank you all for listening to us. And if you want to hear, uh, find out more about Jorida Church, where Yolanda pastors, you should Google um, Dorita Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, because their website 
changes and it will, but it will pop you right over. And um, if you want to hear more of Yolanda's messages and trust me, you do, then you want to search for them on the Dorita Church YouTube channel or um, the Podbean um, website. You can search for the Dorita Church podcast and find Yolanda's messages there. And if you want to know more about The Grove, you can um, look us up at um, thegrovecharlotte.org. And if you want to... Um, see any of our worship services right now they are all um cached on facebook under the video so you can look for our facebook page and if you want to hear just the messages we have a church podcast on itunes you can search for the grow church podcast so um that is all the ways that you can find us more than you need we're sure but we are grateful that you listen so that we have a chance to have these conversations and we will talk to you next week <laughs>